At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson. On the hump day edition of The Yard, hope things are well with you wherever you are today. It is a rainy night here in Starkville. It is, uh, it is just after midnight on Wednesday morning. <clears throat> a lot to talk about for sure. Still a lot of discussion about the NCAA college baseball uh, tournament field. We're going to talk about that today and about some of the selection and uh, you know, kind of some thoughts about that. You know, I still think that you could make a case for Georgia rather than Michigan. But one of the things you look at, you know, the Big Ten didn't get a lot of teams in the tournament. I wrote an article, oh, last night, I guess, about, uh, you know, those 2019 College World Series teams. Of the eight teams, I believe four of those are super regionals. Again, that's correct. Arkansas, Vanderbilt, Mississippi State, Texas Tech back in the top eight. And then you look at the Michigan in as a three seed and then of course um, Auburn didn't make it Auburn not in the field had a losing record this year Louisville didn't make it and they're the ones that put us out remember that uh, rally they had in the ninth inning to knock us out poor Cole Gordon couldn't close the game out but uh, you know it's a lot of the usual suspects that are back. And that's one of the things at Mississippi State that we lacked for a while was consistency as a postseason team. We have, we've had that. You know, we're one of the only teams, if not the only team, to make the Super Regionals four years in a row. Hopefully we'll make it five this year. We'll find out here in a few days, right? I'm a firm believer in if you, can, if you keep going to the barbershop, sooner or later you get the haircut. You, know, you, you keep winning Supers, you get to Omaha, you have an opportunity to get to the College World Series – and you keep getting that field of eight, and then something good could happen to you. Just like we saw in 2016, Coastal Carolina wins a national championship. A few years before that, Fresno State wins a national championship. South Carolina wins two national championships. And I'd venture to say that none of those programs are more committed to college baseball than Mississippi State. I still believe it's firmly just a matter of time before that happens for us. A lot of discussion, of course, from the folks up north about uh, their regional. I don't think their regional is nearly as difficult as people make it out to be. I mean, you look at the RPI, which is the only objective measurable we have. You know, the average RPI, and I don't know which one of you Bulldog fans dug that stuff up, the average RPI for the Mississippi State regional is right around 40. The average RPI for the Ole Miss regional, right around 50. 
Mississippi State also has three conference champions in the regional. We're going to talk about that a little more today. We're going to talk a little more about Samford. Now, I'm going to give you a full preview of the weekend on Friday. I'm going to play that early afternoon game. We're going to talk about that a little bit later in the show, too. It's one of those things that uh, I think it's important for our fans to kind of fully appreciate. Listen, it's not just a show. It's not just, you know, something to do. It's not just something for entertainment value. You know, we're trying to get back to Omaha. We've got to take some steps that ensure we get there. And sometimes that means some of you can't make it. And I I hate that because we need all of you here. We need as many Bulldog fans that can get here to be here. I know many people are excited about coming on Saturday, and I think Saturday will be the huge day. I think that's the day we've got a chance to put up some really, really big numbers for attendance. But uh, this is all we're talking about these days is, is college baseball. It's that time of year. You know, you spend all year long getting ready for this. And sometimes we forget we didn't have this last year. You know, we've talked at length about, you know, the things we've had back. But, uh, you know, we've all gone through something very, very unique, something very stressful. We had the quarantine with the virus. We had, you know, vaccinations. There's so many things you had to deal with. Just, you know, not a typical year in any stretch. And, of course, they canceled the College World Series last year. So we're back. We're working towards that end. And so I, I share with you guys beginning of the year, as we get into February, it's like, you know, no matter who we're playing, what we're doing, no matter the fact that we had limited attendance early on, you know, we had to do what we had to do. And there were many people out there that didn't think it was, could be possible. And I, and I thought about that as Kyle Peterson was speaking during the selection show. Because, you know, we pulled it off. You know, when the Ivy League canceled college baseball, a lot of people said, oh, well, they're just the first domino to fall. Well, that didn't happen. And there were some leagues that elected not to have conference tournaments. There were some leagues out there, only a handful of them, that elected not to play non-conference baseball. There was a team or two that were given the opportunity to do that that didn't do it. And so I think it's important to kind of understand, to take things in a proper context. It's like, you know, there's so many things that we've gotten back that we didn't have a year ago, and we've almost gotten a little bit ungrateful. I think it's important for us to kind of take a moment, take a step back, and and kind of fully appreciate where we are. I also want to take a few moments, too, to, uh, to speak about Stan Horton, Coach Stan Horton from Ripley, Mississippi. One of the most popular people on Mississippi State Twitter. Very, very positive voice. Guy that's really dedicated his life to the game of baseball. Got some friends, very closely affiliated with Stan. Stan always very supportive of me. And uh, we lost Stan on Memorial Day. It's one of those crazy things, man. Uh, you know, class of 1990. I believe he went to Ripley High School, if I'm not mistaken. 49 years of age. It's a tragic accident. Man out of Lake uh, Mohawk there in Tippa County. Out there trying to enjoy some time with his family and uh, had a medical event. And uh, initially listed as a drowning. But at the end of the day, you know, cause of death is really not that important. It all means the same thing. I shared on Twitter on uh, Tuesday night. I'm going to dedicate every baseball article I write the rest of the season to Stan Horton's memory. Stan always a very positive bulldog. One of the last tweets he sent out was, everybody needs to relax. Mississippi State baseball is going to be just fine. I retweeted that. Not just because I believe it, but I think it's good to kind of honor Stan's memory. 
And so I wanted to take some time today to offer my, my thoughts and prayers for those who love Coach and, and the outpouring of emotion that we have seen on Twitter. So many people said, what, Stan is gone? There were so many people that, that have shared with me and have shared openly on Twitter. It's like, you know, I never met the man, but I interacted with him a lot on Twitter. You know, had some DMs with him. I had some friends say, you know what, I found out that, uh, you know, at one point, you know, I actually rented a house from his dad. A lot of people have shared, you know what, he was always a guy that uh, was ready to talk baseball. Together always had a real positive outlook on life and on Mississippi State. True maroon to the max, man. You know, I, I, I don't know what to say sometimes when these things happen. You know, I lost some people my age. Uh, you're pretty much every year of my life, and you, know, you never know when your time is coming. But, uh, you know, Stan's gone far too soon. I mean, it, and it is. And I'm a firm believer in the fact that God makes no mistakes. And while that may not make sense to me today, I have a firm belief that there is a plan. I'm not always privy to what that plan is, what it could be. But I know that Stan Horton loved Mississippi State, and a lot of people loved Stan Horton. And so as we prepare for an NCAA regional this weekend, I ask you to remember that. Remember the fact that uh, you know we've got some Bulldog fans out there that aren't going to be able to make it for one reason or another. And sadly, Stan Horton's family, his friends, are going to be dealing with a funeral. Still making some uh, you know, decisions at this point, and a lot of it's going to depend on scheduling about visitation and a funeral and things of that nature. I think it's important that we support each other when these things happen. It's very, very easy to get caught up in the day-to-day, you know, the, you know just the minutia of your day. And I think a man like Stan Horton needs to be recognized. I've had so many people that have reached out and said, you know what, man, I played for him. And others have said, you know, my kids played for him. He was a guy that loved baseball. He was a guy that loved teaching the game of baseball. A guy that always wanted to share what he had learned to help other people get better at the game of baseball. Worked as an assistant coach. I understand he was a fantastic hitting coach. But I know this. I didn't get to play for Stan Horton, but all of my interactions with him on social media were very, very positive. Always a guy that seemed to have a good disposition in life. It's one of those things you think about sometimes and you wonder, you know, why do people like that have to pass so young? I'm sure that's a question many people in his family and his circle of friends asking himself today. So again, I ask you, if you are of the praying kind, please offer up some prayers for Stan Horton's family. He leaves behind a wife and a couple of young children. Very grateful for our Mississippi State family. And it's been one of those things, too, that I found myself sometimes, you know, the emotions kind of tugging in my heart when I see people say, you know what, I'd, I can't believe he's gone. And so many people that never really had a chance to interact with him personally. But the way he carried himself on social media, he was a bit of a Mississippi State hero. There's so many people that followed him just because of his love for Mississippi State. I think there's an example to be set there. There's an example for us to, to appreciate that the fact that a man that didn't meet so many of us had such a profound impact on us because of how he carried himself on social media, which at times is a bit of a cesspool. A lot of people go out there and they, they get a little keyboard courage and they say things they wouldn't ordinarily say to somebody's face. Well, you could never accuse Stan Horton of that. You never could. And so, Stan, put in a good word for the Bulldogs, if you will, since you're a little more closely affiliated with those that uh, affect such decisions. 
and may you rest in peace. Bulldog Burger Company, longtime sponsors of this show. Love Bulldog Burger Company. Love the people. Love the brand. And I love the experience you guys share with me. There's so many of you that say, you know what, Steve, I'd never been to Bulldog Burger Company until I started hearing about it on your show. I went. We love it. It is now a regular stop for us. The Ridgewood location now open. They're on Lake Harbor Drive. Already beginning to get some people sending me pictures saying, you know what, Steve, we went in there and we had a great time. You know, be a little patient with them. Okay, it's still new. We've got a lot of people there that are still in the process of being trained. And grand openings are always so difficult for everybody. But um, listen, the folks with Bulldog Burger Company, they know, they know how to feed people. Now three great locations to serve you. And I love it, man. I do. I absolutely love it. We had the first one here on University Drive in Stark, Vegas. They expanded to Tupelo. And then well, many other people in the restaurant industry are having to downsize. Your friends at Bulldog Burger Company are expanding their enterprise. Now open in Ridgeland. Now officially open in Ridgeland. They will be dinner only this week. Then it'll be lunch and dinner kind of moving forward. Just kind of go work some dinner, kind of get some things worked out, get the kinks worked out, and be ready to roll. Ian Feud, the manager down there, former manager here in Stark, will do a great job for you. Go by, have the spring rolls. Find your own favorites. Have the pimentology add bacon uh, for me. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, let's talk about this regional a little bit, guys. You know, when, when, the, when the, the field was announced, you know, I kept waiting, you know, for that two seed. I'm like, okay, well, we're going to get Georgia Tech. We're going to get Florida State. Uh, we're going to get, you know, maybe North Carolina. We're going to get an ACC school. Then I had some people say, oh, we're probably going to get UCLA. So I expected to get a Power 5 number two. And usually that Power 5 number two is a team that's you know, probably middle of the pack or the top half of their own league. But I kept waiting for that to happen. And so then when I popped up and I saw that Southern U was headed to Austin, and great for them. You guys have heard me talk about that many times on the show before. I think the kids from the SWAC deserve a chance to go take a trip. They're getting to go to Austin, Texas, one of the finest college towns in, in this country. So good on you, committee, for letting those guys go somewhere pretty cool. Not that coming to Starkville wouldn't be great, but, you know, Southern University, uh, you know, they, they played here in the last regional. I'm a big fan of that, too. I, th- I think you should shake it up a little bit, too. Not just for the fans, but for the players. Give them a chance to play in some different venues. Make the student-athlete experience as good as you can. Then I kept thinking, okay, well, who are we going to get as a four? Who are we going to get? Who are we going to get? Are we going to get McNeese State? No. Popped up they were going somewhere else. Pops up at Samford. And that was one of the conversations I had with Mike Nemeth that morning. I said, you know, if we don't get Southern, we may get Samford. We may get Samford. And we did. One of the things I want to point out to you guys about Samford, and yes, we had played them, beat them 10-2. to two. It was a 10 nothing ball game until late. Give up a couple runs late in, in the bullpen. It was kind of a Johnny Holstaff day for both programs. We had a wild pitch that allowed a run to score there in the night to make it a 10-2 ball game. But, you know, we pretty much dominated the ball game. But Sanford has figured some things out since we have seen them last. We played them on March the 16th. You know, a lot happens over the course of a season. That was two and a half months ago. Sanford, a team that can swing the bat a little bit. One of the things I want to share with you guys, too, about this regional, I mean, I, again, there's all of these casual fans of college baseball that have these very strong opinions. I'm going to encourage you not to listen to that because these teams that we're going to play this weekend, go ahead and prepare yourself. These games are probably going to be a lot closer than you anticipate. 
I know some other people will kind of gas you up a little bit and say, oh, you know, state's going to run through that thing. Guys, we're not getting the Louisiana School of Math and Science in here. And I know some people think I'm beating up on them. God bless those kids in Natchitoches. But, you know, we've got three teams that are accustomed to winning. One of them won the regular season championship. That's Campbell. They won the Big South Conference. And then, of course, you know, Samford wins the SoCon Tournament. BCU wins the Atlantic 10 tournament. They've won 21 games in a row. So we're going to see some teams that uh, know what it takes to win ball games. Now, have they seen talent of our level very often? No, they haven't, with the exception of Sanford. I told you guys earlier in the week they played, uh, what, five SEC teams, played Florida, Alabama, Auburn, Texas A&M, Mississippi State. So they're not going to be intimidated to line up and play against the Bulldogs. But here's some things. I did some work before we, uh, before we got together here. Runs scored, okay? Runs scored. Samford, 15th in the country in runs scored. 15th. 414 runs. 15th in the country. You said, man, Steve, that's pretty good. It is. Well, how about VCU? Virginia Commonwealth, 9th in the country in runs scored with 429. Campbell, you ask? Yeah. Fifth in the country. 442 runs scored. So these are teams that are used to scoring games. Pitching, maybe not so much a strong suit. But these are guys that are going to swing the bat. And to kind of give you some context, Arkansas, that everybody's so scared of, they were 10th in the country and runs scored 428. So two of the three teams that we're going to see this weekend scored more runs than Arkansas, the overall number one seed in the NCAA field. And granted, Arkansas did it against a higher quality of competition. I'm not going to sit here and, and diminish their accomplishment. I just think it's important to kind of look at these numbers and realize these are not cakewalk games. This is not a cupcake regional. I don't care what any of the national pundits say. It's not. We're going to have to go out and play well. We can't just show up and go through the motions or we'll have a Missouri-type weekend and we'll be at home next weekend talking about what could have been. Talk about home runs, we could do that too. We've hit 60 home runs this year. Samford has hit 64. That's 34th in the country. Just ahead of them at 33 is Campbell. They've hit 65 home runs. So we're bringing in a couple teams that have hit more home runs than us and they're among the nation's leaders in run scored. We're going to have to play well. It's not going to be just as simple as us showing up and all of a sudden that the, uh, you know, the M over S intimidates people. You know, the crowds might. You know, none of these teams have played in front of crowds that they're going to see. I mean, even when Sanford came in here, you know, it's a what, Tuesday night game. It's going to be different. You guys make a difference. You really do. The dude effect, as they call it. A lot of question right now, who are we going to start? A lot of people say, well, let's just keep, you know, Christian McLeod on schedule. Let's throw him. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know that I support that move. Not that Chris Monos is going to call me and ask for any support, but I don't know that I, I would go with that, that decision. I also wouldn't trot Houston Harding out there. If memory serves me correctly, Houston Harding went three and a third inning, allowed four hits, no runs, had a couple strikeouts. I believe he had uh, – I believe he had three ground ball outs and five fly outs. I think that's right. I think that's, I think that's exactly how it went down. Three, three ground outs, five fly outs, two strikeouts. But one of the reasons that I wouldn't trot him out there 
is they've already seen him. You know, what makes Houston Harding so great is, you know, the scouting report on him, no matter how many times you read it and you hear about it, until you've stepped into the box and you have seen his changeup be delivered with the same arm speed as his fastball, you can't appreciate how good the changeup is. Well, these guys have already seen it. And he only went through the order one time, just one hitter over, you know, the order, you know, one time through. And so I wouldn't trot him out there because they've seen him. And if I'm the hitting coach for uh, Samford, I'm going to say, guys, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go up there and we're going to sit soft. And we're going to wait for him to throw that change up. And we're going to do all we can to knock it out of the ballpark. There's another reason why I'm against McLeod and Harding. And, again, it's not my call. But if I was managing the Mississippi State Bulldogs, I would throw a right-hander against Samford. I might even throw Will Bednar. And he'd say, Steve, what are you talking about? We're going to have to win game two. I get it. And we'll talk about that later in the week. But I think throwing a left-hander against Samford is asking for trouble. I don't know if you have seen Samford's lineup as of late. They started all three games in their conference tournament that they won, remember, in SOCON with a switch hitter and eight right-handed hitters. So you absolutely throw the right-hander against them. You know, and you can't win the first two and stay in the winner's bracket if you don't win the first one. And some people say, well, Steve, this is just like the, you know, Paul Mulholland thing. It's Middle Tennessee State back in 03. I, you know, I disagree. Again, because again, I don't know that there's anybody that, that's capable of beating us twice in this regional without our help. And we have a tendency at times to help people. But just kind of baseball one-on-one here, when you've got a right-handed dominant lineup that hits home runs, you know, why would you want to go out there and set up a lefty-righty matchup for yourself nine times through the order? It just doesn't, it's not good baseball. And so I won't be the least bit surprised if they announce that, well, Bednar is going to start. And some people are going to panic and say, Steve, what's going on? Well, that's what's going on is we're working the matchup. You throw Bednar, maybe he goes out there and gets you six, seven, eight innings, saves the bullpen a little bit. You get into Saturday, and then you know, maybe you've got a little more even distribution of hitters. I know Campbell has a couple left-handers in their order, assuming they win. VCU has a couple left-handers. But it's not a situation where you're going to go out there against a right-handed dominant lineup and go out there and throw balls across the plate when you've got guys like them that can barrel baseballs up. We've already established they can score runs. We've already established they can hit home runs. So why would we go out there and help them? So I suspect it'll be a right-hander. I, if I had to call today, maybe it is Will Bednar. If not, maybe, you know, maybe it's Cade Smith. But the thing that I think about with that, and I had the discussion with Bo Bounds uh, earlier about this, is, you know, I think it's such a – not that Cade Smith's not going to be a dominant pitcher for us. I expect Cade to be a big part of our future the next couple of years. But to ask that kid to go out there and make his third start of the year – the first game of an NCAA. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. That's right, the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year, and me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest, and we'd go up there, and just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just 
for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing, the versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tacovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours, too. Be sure and check them out. Tacovas believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink, and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom-fitted for a new pair of Tacovas boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to Nerd Wallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year, managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup, putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with smart money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Regional with about 10,000 people on hand, yeah, that's asking an awful lot. That's really asking a lot. A lot of people were concerned about the 2 p.m. start time. Let me, let me share with you my thoughts on that. We did that in 2016. We did it in 2019. There is also some rain expected in the area. So let's say we go out there and play 2 o'clock on Friday, and then the rains come in, and all of a sudden you have rain delays, and you push games back, and the next thing you know, it's, a, you know, it's, a, it's an 8, 9 o'clock start, and you finish the game around midnight. By the time you get everybody showered, get them fed, and get back to the hotel, it's 1, 1.30, you got to get in the bed, and you got to get up in the morning to do a scouting report on your next opponent, and you're playing a ball game two o'clock. So basically, twelve hours later, you're going to play two games in twenty-four hours. Well, if you're the guy that loses Friday night, your NCAA regional could be over very, very quickly. And so, I like playing first because of the fact it makes you the more well-rested team, win or lose. But I think also, too, is that it puts your potential opponent in a very negative situation should there be any delays, whether it be extra innings, whether it be rain delays or anything of that nature. You know, somebody is going to lose that ball game on Friday night and turn right back around and have to play on limited rest. 
You know, that's just how I would handle it. Now, you may go ahead and send your pitcher, you know, your starting pitcher for Saturday to the hotel, let him go ahead and get rested up. You know, but the rest of those guys are going to get up and grind. You can say, well, you know, Steve, they're college kids. I, there, there's, there's so many limits that you have as a human being, no matter your age. Not to mention there's a little wear and tear on everybody this late in the year. And so it makes perfect sense to me. And listen, I get that it impacts our crowd. It does, because there are a lot of you that can't get here at 2 o'clock on, on a Friday. You know, I, I would submit we probably known this was coming for a few months. I hope many of you planned ahead, and maybe you asked for this day off so you can be here with the family to support the Bulldogs. But for some of you, I know it's impossible. But I think when you begin to weigh the benefits of playing early, because if you play late, you're basically doing it for your crowd. And listen, it is a spectator sport. We want the big crowds there, but not at the expense of losing a ball game. You can say, well, Steve, we're going to beat Sanford either way. You know, at this point, I think Mississippi State baseball has kind of shown we can't take anybody for granted. It's one thing to get beat by Florida and Tennessee. It's another thing to get beat by Missouri, the last place team, one of the worst teams in the Power Five because we were unprepared to play. You know, we trot out there thinking, okay, well, we got a lot of crowd here. They'll, they'll win the ball game for us, and then, and then they, when we don't, then we got to get out there and go play desperately on Saturday. Then you're one game away from the season being over. It's a lot of pressure. People forget, too. I mean, it's so easy because we know too many of these young men's names. You know, outside of Tanner Allen and Rowdy Jordan, we don't have anybody that's played in a regional. Not on offense. You know, Josh Hatcher, of course, not in the starting nine. Josh has got some postseason experience. Josh played pretty well last year in the postseason. He's kind of falling off this year. But I think it's one of those things you look at and say, okay, how do I protect my kids? What's the best way for me to get these guys to kind of understand the environment they're going to play in? I think you got to lessen the pressure and give yourself the best chance to win game one. And if that means throwing Bednar at 2 o'clock, you win the ball game and you're done. I mean, you got to win at least three to win this thing, right? You know, earlier in the week, I'm thinking, you know, I'm throwing Bednar in game two. And then when you begin to look at the matchups, you look at Sanford and what they bring to the plate, I think you got to rethink that a little bit. So I'm open either way. You know, I know Fox Hall and Lamontis will make a decision. I'm sure we'll probably know, uh, you know, on Wednesday to latest Thursday. I suspect we will have a media opportunity with Chris Lamontis on Thursday. We may know before then. You know, it's not like you can just show up on game day and say, hey, here's my guy. You know, everybody has to kind of announce. Not sure who Sanford's going to throw, but I'll tell you, the, they're three regular starters. Nobody has an ERA under five. You know, they're, they're a team that gets hit. They give up a lot of runs. They're a team that's around the plate. And so, you know, we're going to have a chance to go score some runs ourselves. But, you know, I think this pitching thing is a little more complex than people realize. Oh, you throw your best guy against the best team. But that doesn't always work out that way. You know, sometimes your best guy is a better matchup for, against another team. We've got to win this game either way. So, I think, again, let's take some time, kind of figure this thing out. We'll look ahead. But we've got to manage this thing one game at a time. We had Christian McLeod speak to us after the selection show. He's very, very confident, ready to go. Same time, too, it's going to be the first time he's ever towed the rubber in an NCAA regional game. Shared that he uh, bought a ticket when he was a freshman, sat down third baseline for the Super Regional against Stanford. Wasn't even in the dugout. You know, wasn't in the bullpen. He was in the stands. 
And so maybe for Christian McLeod, who is a guy that's kind of been up and down at times, is, you know, maybe it's good for him to watch game one. You know, maybe I don't want him out there on the bump, you know, 10,000 people hanging on every pitch. This is a guy sometimes, too. You know, when it falls apart, it really falls apart. I'm not being critical of Christian. I'm just making a statement of fact. As we saw at Vanderbilt, you know, he strikes out seven the first time through the order, and the next thing you know, three, two innings later, he's done. You know, and so we got to manage our personnel and manage the game. And maybe it's better for Christian to watch game one, kind of get acclimated and get excited a little bit, kind of beat the nerves back a little bit. You know, and that's one of the things that it kind of I, – I, I read some of these Facebook groups, and, again, I'm not trying to be over, overly critical, but there are so many people that are often in error but never in doubt. And, you know, somebody was trying to convince me earlier that uh, we didn't have a dominant pitcher on the roster, and uh, that is completely false. <laughs> I mean, that is completely false. I, you know, last time I looked, I mean, um, you know, Landon Sam's pretty outstanding. You know, as a starter, Will Bednar has been our most consistent starter, and it's really not close. People say, well, you know, he's not a shutdown guy. Oh, he's not? He's not a shutdown guy? He's 6-1 and one on the year. 6-1. and one. I feel confident when he's on the hill. I mean, has, has he been perfect this year? No, he hadn't. But, you know, it's like he takes a loss against Ole Miss. But you know what? Doug Nikhazy threw a complete game shutout against us. And that's the one game you look at and say, you know what, the, the kid just didn't have it that day. And give Ole Miss some credit. He didn't pitch exceptionally well against Arkansas either. But those are, those are the outliers. You know, Will Bednar is a guy that uh, I think has some mental toughness about him. It looks like he's having fun out there on the mound. So let's look how he's pitched since that Ole Miss game. Uh, he goes to Vanderbilt and beats Leiter. Goes five innings. Does a great job in that ball game. I mean, absolutely outstanding. Allows just three hits, one run, strikes out, uh, what is it, eight, 96 pitches. Play A&M, and, and maybe you've forgotten, we swept them. He gets a win there, goes five innings, allows five hits, one run, struck out seven, walked three. We go to South Carolina, and he gets a Newcomer of the Week award, goes six innings, strikes out 13, doesn't walk any, allows three runs on six hits. Missouri wasn't his best game, but he goes five innings, didn't have his best stuff, kind of gutted through there, allowed three runs on uh, seven hits, struck out six. We go on the road at Alabama, and he's absolutely dominant. Eight innings, three hits, no runs, 11 Ks, two walks, allows a double, throws 112 pitches, that's a season high. And then we didn't have – he pitched in relief against Tennessee in the game. We were basically just trying to get out of there. And so I don't know if you can judge him harshly on that either way. But I think sometimes, you know, we, we lose a ball game early in the year and we think, oh, we can't rely on that guy. But, you know, he has consistently done a good job for us down the stretch. You know, in every start since the Ole Miss game, he has gone at least five innings and has gone six-plus twice, including that eight-inning affair at Alabama. ERA of 3.23 on the year. 3.23. Prior to Hoover, before we decided to throw batting practice out there, he was under three at 2.90. It's crazy. One of three freshman pitchers in Mississippi State history strike out 100 in a season. 101 Ks this year. 
in case you lost track of that, I get 17 walks. 17. He's only had one game this year, excuse me. He's only had two games this year where he had more than two walks. He walked three against Vandy and three against A&M. This is a guy that's usually around the play. This is a guy that gets a lot of swing and miss. So, yeah, he's a shutdown guy. You know, and, and not to mention, too, he's getting deeper and deeper in the ball games. So, as a result, you know, you're able to save some of your bullpen. We're going to really need that this weekend. We may end up having to play four games. And so, that's why I think it's important, you know, that Bednar is a guy that absolutely has to get us a win in the first couple ball games, and maybe it's better to throw him in game one. You know, I've, there are some people that believe, and Coach Pat McMahon was one of them, you throw your best guy in game two because you got to win game two no matter what. Either you're playing to clinch the series or stay in a winner's bracket, or you have to do it to stay off elimination. So he would throw his best pitcher uh, in the second game. And so I kind of subscribe to that too, but I also don't want to be in a situation where we know going into game two that we're going to have to play at least three more games. Right? So be prepared because of who we're playing and because of how, how good he's been that we may have an opportunity to start Will Badnar in Friday. Don't be surprised if that happens. Not going to be surprised either way. But I think you can make that case a lot easier. I think that makes perfect sense to throw Will Badnar. And then you could say, well, you know, we'll see. What about Brandon Smith? And, you know, I, I really think that was an audition last week at Hoover you know, for him to potentially be the third starter. They weren't giving him the low strike. And, you know, and for Brandon to be effective, he's got to be able to throw strikes at the knees, sometimes maybe a ball, a half a ball down. You know, he's got to be able to get that low strike. Didn't get it, and as a result, he had to elevate, and they brought him up some. You know, I kind of like him paired up with Christian McLeod anyway. When Christian comes in, maybe gives you five or six innings, and you bring in Brandon Smith for two or three and turn it over to Sims. That works too. So it'll be interesting to see what Lamonis decides to do, but you know you've got some options there, and you really do. And so you know we have figured this thing out for the most part in the bullpen, but uh, you know starting rotation outside of you know, McLeod and Bednar has kind of been a work in progress throughout the year. We tried with three different guys over there on uh, on on Sunday, and uh, we're still figuring it out as we get into NCAA play. Now, I'm a firm believer, too, that this is when the cream rises at the top. This is when guys that, uh, that need to play find a way to play. These are guys that when they get opportunity to get in the lineup, whether they be hitters or pitchers or whatever, that they bring their best efforts. And so somebody will need to step up. And every year there's always somebody. There's always that one pitcher. You, know, you go back and look how well Peyton Plumley pitched for us in 2019. I go back to that 2017 regional at Southern Miss and Jacob Billingsley, that was a complete game to save the bullpen in an elimination game. It was absolutely outstanding effort. Zach Houston kind of found it in the SEC tournament back in 16, which is absolutely phenomenal in game three, the regional final. You know, so there's always somebody that steps up. And so I'm going to be curious to see who it's going to be for Mississippi State. But sometimes it's somebody that kind of comes out of nowhere. Sometimes it's a guy that maybe you've given up on. Maybe a guy you're thinking, oh, I don't really trust this guy. Next thing you know, he, he runs a few innings together and you start feeling good about life. And so I'm eager to see who that's going to be. Who's going to be that alpha? That's one of the things about this team at times that, that has kind of frustrated me, and I'm sure it's been the same for, you know, for the coaching staff, is you know, you've got some guys at the top of the food chain, like Tanner Allen, Rowdy Jordan, 
but I don't think there's enough of them. You know, when I go back and I think about that 16 team, you know, Jack Kruger, right, Nate Lowe, Brent Rooker, and, you know, Brent at that point would still just kind of, you know, kind of find himself. You know, Jake Mangum, of course, was a freshman. But, you know, when you, when you look through that lineup, I mean, even Gavin Collins, even though he was forced to go play over third, you know, these guys, they had some dog in them. There was some mental toughness about those guys. You go back to 2019, you know, Ethan Small was a guy that had some dog in him. You still had Mangum around. You had Foskey. Foskey definitely has some dog in him. Westberg, too. And so we're getting a lot out of this group. But I think there's more there. But I really wish at times we had a little more hunter-gatherer mentality in us. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I think, I think there's some guys out there that, um, you know, maybe don't know what it's like to go out there and get dirty. And it's like when you go back and look at that great right field catch that Tanner Allen played. I mean, that's that catch that he made diving into the warning track dirt out there. I mean, that's an alpha dog play. And you need more of that. You know, I think you got some guys that can develop into that. But now it's time for them to show it. You know, now it's time for, you know, the Kellum Clarks of the world who I think is going to be a star for us. It's, it's time to really turn the light on now. He had a great weekend at South Carolina. Had a couple of hits at Alabama. You know, this is a guy, too, that uh, it's almost like going out and signing a free agent. You know, he's finally healthy and kind of getting going. Needs some ABs. But I really wish, you know, we had, you know, we had that pack of dogs. You know what I'm saying? I, I don't – I haven't seen it yet. You know, we have some guys out there that can really play. And we have some other guys that are pretty good. I think Luke Hancock is a guy that, you know, probably should hit farther down the order. Like, you know, in 16 and 19, you know, he's in the bottom half of the order. That's not to say he's not a good player. He's a great player. But I think we're kind of having to ask him to do some things. You know, know, one time we had him hitting third you know, chasing all those breaking balls. I mean, and he's a guy that's very difficult to strike out. But, you know, he's a guy that's got a little dog in him too. But, you know, he's not a big rah-rah guy. You know, that's the thing when you go back and you look at uh, even that 16 team, you know, Ryan Gridley, a guy that, uh, you know, really didn't have a big personality. But, you know, he was a very emotional player. You remember he spiked the ball at LSU and they all about lost their minds. You know, we this is when, this is when you got to take the dogs off the chain. And I don't care that it's Campbell and VCU and Sanford. Doesn't make any difference. It's time for the dogs to eat. And so those guys are going to have to step up. It's not the Boy Scouts, it's the SEC. And now all of a sudden, you know, we're repping the SEC in the big boy tournament. And so that's what this team, I think, needs. You know, I think, you know, you look at Tanner Allen, you know, that guy's going to play hard every single play. We need more guys on this team to kind of follow his example. And not just hope they can get the order around to him. You know what I'm saying? I mean, there's just some people out there. Like, there are a lot of people that sometimes get caught watching the game, sort of playing the game. All right, it's time for today's top ten list, brought to you by JohnnyPacker.com. I've had some conversations with John as of late. You, know, you guys have the promo code, right? Ten percent off by using promo code Moneyard. And maybe, perhaps, if you don't want to. Um, you know, maybe you're like, you know what, I, I'm uncomfortable buying glasses online because I don't know how they're going to fit my face. If you're up around the Memphis area, you can go by, by, in Collierville there. Easy to go find. And uh, so I'm looking through my notes here with John. John and I have messaged a lot here as of late. Found, he found out that we have a family connection. But uh, you can go by and see the Johnny Packer eyeglasses at the Collierville Vision Center. 
So if you're in and around the Memphis area, go to the Collierville Vision Center. You can see them for yourself. They're not going to pinch your nose. They're going to sit well on your face. You're not going to look like a cartoon character. You're going to love the way you look. Find these glasses, and, you can, and you're going to love them. Uh, you can find them online, again, at johnnypacker.com. Use the promo code uh, bull, uh, Boneyard excuse me, to get um, 10% off. These glasses, these frames are uh, you know, named after Mississippi Towns. This is a company run by Bulldogs. So you're getting a chance to buy quality merchandise at a great price from Mississippi State supporters. And then a portion of your purchase goes directly to the Cystic Garbrosis Foundation. It's a win-win-win. Again, that's johnnypacker.com, promo code BONEYARD. All right, today's top ten list, I think I've had about a dozen requests for this over the last year. So several of you deserve credit for this list, but Roy kind of brought it up and said, hey, we hadn't done this one yet. We hadn't done it yet. We need to do this one. Yeah, I told you Roy gets a pick. So Roy gave me a couple of options for his pick. He let me pick his pick based on a couple of different suggestions. We're going with Jimmy Buffett. Parrot heads, today is your day on the show. I'll be honest with you, I'm not a huge Jimmy Buffett fan. It's not that I don't respect him. I think he's an incredible musician, which is not really my cup of tea. But I do have a nice top ten list together. I actually listened to, oh, I don't know, about 20, 25 uh, Jimmy Buffett songs today. Of course, there's the classics you know so well, and there's a few others that uh, you know people had suggested when they would send their list in, say, hey, this one's my favorite. So I listened. But here's your top 10. Your, your list may differ. I mean, I, I know these parrot heads are incredibly, incredibly serious about their favorites. And when you've got a guy that's his uh, catalog is as extensive as Jimmy Buffett, I'm sure I'm not going to pick all your favorite songs. You know, there's many of you that, uh, you know, because he's your favorite artist, you, there's some deep tracks that you love and appreciate. And so you kind of navigate towards those. You may know them better than me. But here are mine. Now, one of these kind of has a PG-13 title, so we're going to keep it PG here on the show, okay? So if you're one of those, you got your kids in the car and thinking, you know, what, what's he going to say? There is one of these songs, kind of a legendary Jimmy Buffett song, that's a little bit suggestive, shall we say? And so we're going to be, we're going to be kid gloves with that. Number 10 is Mexico. Cool track, real smooth. I think it's kind of the definition of yacht rock, as they say. Number 9 one that I wasn't quite as familiar with, but I really dig it a lot. It's Volcano. Number eight is the song that we just talked about. The one that's a little bit suggestive. It's Why Don't We Get Drunk and You Know What. You know, those are words for living for a lot of people. You know, times in my life, I mean, I was exactly, that was, those are my goals. That was the weekend goal, right? So I'm going to stop there because I don't want to say anything inappropriate, but, uh, because you, know, you get caught up in that kind of stuff, the next thing you know, you're chasing a rabbit trail. And, and I, I, I want to remember, too, that, um, you know, there's kids listening to the show. So, uh, number seven, one is kind of a you know, kind of an introspective song. I, I really dig it. I, I love the, the phrasing on this one, but it's Book on the Shelf. Book on the Shelf, I think, is a great song. I think when you go back and look at it, it this is very relatable, too. I think most people have been in this situation. Number six, Oceans of Time. You talk about yacht rocked. I mean, I, I imagine when you when you flip that on on Sirius, when you fi- flip over to yacht rock, it's probably the first song that comes on. Number five, I had about a dozen people that requested this list, and I think at least half of them mentioned this song as one of their favorites. 
and it's a pirate looks at 40. It made me think a little bit about Mike Leach. But, uh, you know, it's a guy growing up, talks about his mom and that sort of stuff. But uh, it's a little different deal. It's kind of humorous, too. I mean, it's one of those things, too, like you look at the, you know, the lyrics behind the song. I mean, I think Buffett had a lot of fun writing this thing. I think the last four, in my, my opinion, obviously they're my top four. They wouldn't be, if I didn't like them, they wouldn't be my top four. I think most people would agree this is probably the top four. Down at the Lottie Dies, number four for me. But I think the three at the top, I think every one of these are absolute classics. I think everybody knows these songs. The first Jimmy Buffett song that I ever remember hearing in my lifetime was number three. And it's Cheeseburger in Paradise. You know, when you're a kid and you hear that Cheeseburger in Paradise, it's, you know, it's funny. It, it sticks with you. I was around when this stuff was kind of rolling through. But Cheeseburger in Paradise appealed to me because I like cheeseburgers. Wasn't sure what Paradise was, but this guy singing about eating cheeseburgers sounded like heaven to me. Let's go do it. Number two, this is a great track, man. And I know this got played on some country stations, and I know some people to this day maybe consider this more of a country song. And I know some of Jimmy Buffett's song is, is stuff is considered country. But it's come Monday, and I absolutely love this song. I loved it when it was out. I loved it as a kid, even though I didn't fully appreciate it. I didn't understand kind of what he was talking about. But, um, you know, it's a relationship song. You know, we've all been in that situation. It's kind of like, you know what, I've just kind of reached a point where i got to make some decisions. And then there's, uh, you know, you got to decide if you're going to be real about this thing or not. And that's, you know, that's really the story of love, isn't it? Is, you know, everybody has these feelings and, you, you know, you, you get attracted to somebody and you kind of got to decide how, how far you want to go with it. And I think that's kind of what that song is about. But the number one Jimmy Buffett song, I think we can all agree, you know, probably eight-year-old me would say Cheeseburger in Paradise. But I think, you know, adult Steve would say it's got to be Margaritaville. And, it, you know, it's one of those, it is an American classic. Everybody knows this song. Whether, whether you know who sang it or not, if you know any of the words, it is a good time and track all the way. I mean, the absolute relatable poetry in this track, that's phenomenal. And so before we move on, I just, I just want to appreciate the greatness of Jimmy Buffett here. Nibbling on sponge cake, watching the sun bake, all those tourists covered in oil, strumming my sixth string on my front, my front porch swing, smell those shrimp, hey, they're beginning to boil. Right out of the gate, man, I got some very vivid imagery. I, I know what's going on. I know what's happening. I can see it. I can smell it. You know, wasted away again in Margaritaville, searching for my lost shaker of salt. Some people claim there's a woman to blame, but I know it's nobody's fault. So, incredible, incredible lyrical content there. And so, to me, that's the absolute quintessential Jimmy Buffett song. And for you parrot heads, I hope I did the list justice. I hope you look at it and say for a rocker, he did pretty good. Because, I, I, you know, again, I know the hits. I had to kind of work to put this list together. And uh, I depended on some of you guys that, you know, that, that, su- that suggested the list to kind of point me in the right direction. But I do. I, I dig them. And um, yeah, there are a few of them out there that, um, you know, I listen to. I say, you know, this is kind of a snooze fest for me. But I know many of you just kind of like that laid-back 
kind of the island feel, you know, and that's what Jimmy Buffett does. Just, you know, it reminds me of being at the beach. Sure it does you guys too. But that's your top 10 list for the day. We'll be back with some rock. We'll raise our fist to the gods of rock on Friday as we get ready for a regional, give you guys a great playlist. And maybe maybe this midweek Wednesday playlist from Roy will be good for you. Kind of tides you over until we get to the weekend. But uh, don't go looking for your lost shaker or assault or anything. If you have an idea for the top ten list, reach out let me know. And, again, don't be scared. Even if you're not completely sure, and many of you say, hey, Steve, have you done this? And we have, I'll send you the list. I'll do my best anyway. Sometimes I get, I get busy and I, I can't do it right away, but I try to remember to get it back to you. You're not bugging me if you ask, okay? So I get a lot of messages, of course, but and you think, well, what's one more? It, it doesn't bother me. So if, if I don't get right back to you, if I don't respond, it means that I'm leaving your message unread so I don't forget about it. And even if you have to message me twice, you're not, gonna, you're not bugging me. So if you want a list, let me know. If, but if you're the smart thing to do, is go to Spotify and search for Dogmatic 67. That's D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C, Dogmatic 67. That's Roy's Spotify channel and on Twitter. And he tweets out the list. And so sometimes you could probably save yourself a little time and effort and wait rather than wait on me and go find it yourself. So we set them up that way for a reason. But if you guys have an idea, reach out, let me know. I may just do it. I love doing each list, and so many of you that I go when we go speak and and have events, I have some people to say, "Man, Steve, I love a top ten list. I don't always agree with your picks, but man, I've been turned on to some music, or been reminded of some music I hadn't heard in years, and uh, and I dig it. And that's one of the things that I hope we can all do is kind of celebrate that together. I have had some more unusual requests here as of late that are not music related, so I'm kind of debating that with Roy on how we're going to proceed with that. Because I try to accommodate everybody when I can. So we got some, some interesting topics for the top ten list. Maybe we'll get into that. Maybe we save those for after baseball season, but we'll see. Next segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart. Stan and Mammoth, Kathy Brown, the lovely, talented Susie. Oh, my goodness, she is so incredible. I love, I love Susie to death. She's so fun. Go by and check them out. And if you can't make it to town, let me encourage you to shop online at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. It's BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And you need to order your regional shirts, whether you attend the regional or not. Be happy we got them. Rep them. They're great looking. You can go look online right now at campusbookmart.net and say, you know what, I, I need that shirt in my life. You'll be glad you did. You'll absolutely be glad you did. And you guys know... I'm a big proponent of Campus Bookmark. They treat me like family. They'll treat you like family. It's as simple as that. Outfit the family today in the latest in maroon and white fashions at campusbookmark.net. And remember, promo code BSR to save the shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Let's talk a little basketball. Coach Ben Howland and his staff recently added two more signees to the class. As you guys are well aware, State's done a great job working the NCAA transfer portal. That has worked out well for us. We pick up Rocket Watts, point guard out of uh, Michigan State. Phenomenal player, originally from Detroit, Michigan. Uh, kind of hitting the highlights here. 6'2 guard from Detroit. Had 40, 460 points, 121 assists through two seasons at Michigan State. He was a Big Ten all-freshman team selection. Uh, closed out his freshman year with uh, 10 points or more in five of the last seven games. 
Uh, just, you know, a guy, too, that I think will allow us some versatility because you can put Molinar over at the two and also to give him a chance to uh, run the point as necessary. But Watt's a big-time player at high school, man. He was in the, uh, the ESPN Top 100 rank as a 33-player nationally for the 2019 class. Uh, went to prep school and you know, just did a great job. And so all of a sudden, you've got another legitimate option at point guard. And this is a guy, too, that can shoot from outside. You know, he's not the T.J. Honore point guard. And if you've been around a few 24 hours, you know what I mean. You know, T.J. was a pass-first guy. He could score, but he was really more of a facilitator than a guy that would create his own shot. Rocket Watts can facilitate and create, and he's a guy that can shoot from outside. So he gives you, again, another option offensively. We don't need him to go out there and just be the pass-first guy. Uh, Shaquille Moore signs, and that's the uh, the last player in the class. I mean, and, and again, what a tremendous class it is. This is an NC State transfer, another Power Five guy. You know, where this is not like we're going and getting guys from Elon. You know, are we getting some backup from from Alabama State or something? I mean, these are guys that are coming in from Power Five programs that have played some significant minutes. You want to talk about turning things around? You get some guys like this in here, all of a sudden you feel really good about life. Shaquille Moore, 6'1 guard from Greensboro, North Carolina, 6.8 points per game, 2.5 rebounds, 1.7 assists, and then led the team in steals with 1.4 per game. Played in 25 games as a freshman uh, there at NC State. A guy that had uh, multiple steals in 11 games. Uh, a four-star recruit nationally and another top 150 guy. Yeah, that's the thing you begin to look at. These are not just guys that, uh, you know, are developmental guys. These are guys that had a lot of options out of high school have come in here and did a really good job. You know, we're already going to bring back, you know, pretty good lineup as it is. You know, obviously, Abdul Adu has moved on. It was talk he was going to go play pro basketball. He likes to go in the transfer portal. And then DJ Stewart's going to stay in a draft. And so you've got some other pieces to work with. You know, Derek Fountain, a bit of a role player last year. I think that'll be kind of be the case this year. But uh, you bring back Iverson, Molinar, and Tolu Smith, and you start thinking, okay, we've got some guys to kind of work around them. Uh, I like this roster, and I like what Ben Howland has done. And I think there is a lot of room for optimism. Now it's his job as a coach to get these guys to build some rapport and some on-the-court chemistry. They're here now. And so, you know, it's not just as simple as, okay, well, We've got these guys, and it's kind of a hope and a promise. You know, well, these guys are now on campus. They're getting ready to go through summer workouts and going to have an opportunity to get together and play. Uh, and, and, you know, and it's a chance to kind of come together as a team. And that's the thing, you know, if you've been around the team, you know, once you are, you know, we have a chance to talk with them, obviously, over Zoom and stuff. But, you know, we've got some guys, I think, that are going to be good teammates. They're going to welcome these guys because, listen, Iverson Bonar wants to win. Tolu Smith wants to win. You know, Javion Davis wants to win. You know, so all of a sudden you bring in some other guys, and, of course, Tolu and those guys have transferred before, so they understand what that means to be the new guy. So they're going to be a little more open-armed about this. And, of course, all these guys are eligible to play this year because the one-time transfer rule was passed, so they're not going to have to sit. They're going to be able to come in and contribute right away. So this is a really important summer for Mississippi State men's basketball. But on paper – I love our team. I don't just like our team. I love our team. And I'm interested to see what Ben Hallen can do with him. Listen, we all listen, we all know the deal. You know, Ben needs a big year. 
but we closed out with such great chemistry. We played great defense, had a chance to do some really cool things. We lose in the, you know, the championship game of the NIT, and yes, it's the NIT, I get it, but this is a team that needed practice. This is a team that needed wins. This is a team that needed an opportunity to kind of find a sense of itself. And so you end the year on that, that stretch, and then you add in these other pieces that make you a better basketball team. I, I don't know how anybody could look at this and say, you know what, I, I'm, not, I'm not intrigued by this. You know, again, you're not going out there and just, you know, signing some scrubs to fill out the roster. These are dynamic players that can make an impact in year one. They're looking for another opportunity. You know, we're looking for guys that can get out there and play. So I'm excited about this. You guys remember last year when all this was going on, we had all the transfers and all the guys go. I was really down on the season. I said, it's going to be a difficult year. We lost all this offensive production. You know, we tried to do what we could to kind of, you know, negate some of that. You know, we said, well, you know, we've got D.J. and Iverson coming back, and D.J. will play a bigger role, and he did. But, you know, we were kind of limited at times offensively. I think what Ben Howen has done, you go out and get some of these other guards, now you can get out and run the floor a little bit. And, listen, I know some of this is his pedigree. It's we're going to play hard defense and be, be strong in the half court. But as negative as I was, and I hate to even use the term negative, but you know, maybe as pessimistic as I was last year about Mississippi State basketball – I'm as optimistic, at least, about what we can be this year. I'm really excited about men's basketball. I think it's going to be. A, I think it's going to be a really cool year. I, I, I'm really, really excited. Not going to belabor the point, but I think you guys know where I'm headed here. We have done a great job working a transfer portal, as has Nikki McRae. You know, that's a, this is a roster that needed to be overhauled a little bit too. And one of the things too, I want to caution you guys about too, is just because you know somebody's name and you follow them on Twitter doesn't mean that you know them and so there are some things that happened last year and some people are like oh I can't believe so-and-so is leaving I love them you don't know them and so I don't I'm not gonna sit here and be preachy about it but some of the players that left needed to leave and we'll leave it at that and we've replaced them with players that are a little more offensive you know minded a lot more prolific scorers and so I'm not gonna let Nikki off the hook you know, for last year's season. But I'm also going to commend her for, you know, for making some difficult decisions with her roster and with her staff. You know, we've had some changes on the coaching staff. Maybe you've forgotten. And so I commend her for making the difficult decisions. And now it's about let's, let's take the pieces we have and let's go make a winning basketball team out of it. And we were a winning team last year. We should have won a lot more ball games. I think we all know that. But I think – there were a lot of things working against us, and so we'll see what happens this year. But I think Nikki McRae and Ben Howland both have done enough in this offseason to kind of make you take pause and say, you know what, okay, maybe we got a chance to be better next year. I think that's probably a given at this point. I think everybody would probably admit, you know, we probably have done some things in the offseason that we weren't expecting. And I give Paul Jones and Robbie Falk a lot of credit. Of course, those guys work with us over at Gene's page. And they were on top of it. I mean, it was absolutely never anything unexpected. I mean, it was like there was nothing ever came out of left field. And so great job by those guys to kind of work the scoops. If you're not a subscriber, I would encourage you to go ahead and, and join today. You can get a 60% off an annual subscription right now. It's a great value. Go check it out today over at jeanspage.com. I know many of you have thought about, you know what, Steve, one day I'd like to live in Starkville. One day I'd like to move back to Starkville. 
Well, the man and the plan that can help you with that is Brooks Bryan. Former Diamond Dog outfielder Brooks Bryan, my friend, your friend, everybody's friend, one of the developers of this great new residential development here in Starkville, Portico. Very easy to get to. You come off 82 on to 12 like you're going to campus. The very first right, that's Pat Station Road, turns into Garrett Road. Next thing you know, you're at Portico. Great new residential development there. Well, listen, there's one, two houses left in phase one. Then there's phase two. They're getting all that dirt work done and kind of get roads built and that sort of stuff. And so there's more houses that are going to you know, kind of outfit that place, 51 and all. Going to have that great walking trail. Going to have great neighbors. Going to have a great proximity to campus, easy access to 25, 82, all the major highways in Starkville. You're going to be glad you're going by there and checked it out. And many of you have said, you know what, one day I want to do it. Today's the day. I mean, go at the very least, do some due diligence. And listen, I don't know who you are in your relationship. I don't know if you're the decision maker. I don't know if you're the one that has to do all the work and not for the person to say no. But listen, you owe it to yourself to get on the phone with Brooks, get some information about Portico, get some information about moving to Starkville. And then when you go speak to your other person, your other partner, and say, hey, I've already done the research, and here's what it would cost, and here's what we're looking at, and here's the pictures on Zillow for you to look at uh, our new house in Starkville. And all of a sudden, they'll realize how serious you are about this, whether it be an investment property for you, your primary residence, uh, you know, or, or something you're just going to use, uh, you know, as a weekend getaway place. Portico is absolutely the way to go. Give Brooks a call today at 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. You'll be glad you did. And even for no other reason, just to kind of get a, a little bit of your due diligence done, to kind of whet the appetite a little bit, you know what I'm saying. And Brooks is going to have all the answers to all your questions. He absolutely will. Make Portico your next move. All right, let's talk a little more baseball before we get out of here because I love talking about baseball. I know you guys do too. I'm very intrigued about some of the things that happened, you know, uh, in the, in response to the NCAA tournament field being selected. I don't just mean state all miss stuff. I'm interested about why things are the way they are. And I mentioned the Michigan thing earlier in the deal. You know, it's just like when you look at how many SEC teams are in the field, you know, a lot of people would say, well, you know what, there's a bias towards the SEC. Well, you know, one of the things that I would point out to people is, you know, we play baseball year-round down here. So our recruiting base, we're going to get some players. They're going to be a little more seasoned. We're going to get some guys with a lot more reps. You know, what did Dan Mullen always say? You know, you need to get about 10,000 10, reps, you know, before you can really play in a ball game. You know, our kids get those 10,000 reps in the front yard before they're 10. You know, and so – it's a different brand of athlete. And, again, I'm not saying there's not good ball players in the North. There are. But the SEC and the ACC in most years are going to dominate the field. You know, the Southern California, some of the Pac-12 schools, it's going to happen too. But there's just not a lot of Northern teams that consistently have championship-caliber teams. And so I, I, there's some SEC fatigue, and you hear it all the time. People say, oh, they're biased against the SEC. Our bias for the SEC. I mean, we got four out of eight in the top eight national seed. And you can say, well, you know, yeah, it's true. Well, look at what happened in Omaha in 2019. Remember that field? Auburn, Arkansas, 
Mississippi State, Vanderbilt. They didn't just give it to us. We, we, we all went, and we went to Omaha, and we competed, and we knocked each other out. We had three teams from the SEC in one bracket. You want to talk about bias? That's just kind of how it broke loose, right? Auburn, Vanderbilt, and State in the same bracket with Louisville. You know, on the other side of things, you know, you had Michigan and uh, Texas Tech. You know, a couple other TCU, I guess, is over there. A couple others. But, you know, you had all the SEC teams in one bracket because that's how brackets work. You don't get to Omaha and reseed the field. And that was the thing, too. We made it back in 2018. I loved how the Omaha's people said they should reseed the field. Well, you know, it's funny that you guys mentioned that. You've been one time in 50 years. Now, all of a sudden, you're an expert on Omaha. But uh, I digress. But I, I get a little tired of this national perception in every sport that the SEC is somehow catered to. You know, the reason the SEC has so many teams in the field is because the SEC is the best. That's just a fact of life. I mean, one of the things I think is interesting, too, is, you know, let's go back to that weekend in Texas, right? Remember, we almost didn't play. And I don't know if I told you guys back then, we kind of had an idea to play a deal to play Jacksonville State if things went poorly. If we couldn't have gotten to Texas, we would have played Jacksonville State a three-game series right here in Starkville. And I think if that had happened, we're not a national seed today. I think that's how important it was. You go up there and you get a win over Texas. You get a win over Texas Tech. Two teams end up being top eight national seed. Your one loss, TCU. Another team ends up being a national seed. In fact, five of the six teams that were there in Arlington ended up being national seeds. And then the one that didn't, Ole Miss, still ends up being a host. And so, you know, we go out there and challenge and give the Big 12 some credit too. We're out there, hey, we're going to take, you know, three of our best teams and we're going to put it on the line the first weekend of the year before anybody's figured out their pitching rotation, before anybody's kind of sell their lineup. And we're going to go out there and play against some Omaha caliber teams. That has to be rewarded. When you're willing to go out there and compete at a high level, we could have very easily just said, you know, we'll go play Jacksonville State. And listen, all due respect to the Gamecocks, we're just not going to get the same lift in our postseason resume by playing Jacksonville State. We were kind of sweating out this selection process late. And one of the things that saved us was our RPI, our strength of schedule. Because we went out there and won a couple ball games against the big-time teams. I want to share this with you, too, because I get – I know so many of you have your, you have your Ole Miss coworkers, you know, that, that, again, often in error, never in doubt. Guys, Ole Miss was never in consideration for a top eight. They weren't. I don't care what they tell you. I don't care how impassioned their pleas are. They could have won the SEC tournament, and they would not have been able to catch the top eight. It just wasn't going to happen. You, you don't lose half of your SEC series – and then host a top eight. It, just, it didn't work that way. That's just not – I mean, that's a tough sale. You say, okay, well, listen, yeah, there maybe there are 10 or 11, but you're not eight. You're not seven. That's just, that's just not how it's going to work. And those are the things that I think people don't think through. I think people just get saying, well, man, we got hot late. We did this. You know, the, the conference tournaments, guys, do not mean a whole lot. Not, not for the Power Five. It just, it just doesn't. You know, I mean, take a look at what happened to TCU over the weekend, right? So, TCU wins the Big 12 tournament. 
So they were six in the RPI on, on uh, Saturday night. And then the field is finalized on Sunday. Well, TCU goes to four in the RPI in the final update. But yet when they announced the top four seeds, TCU won one of them. Because they really got no benefit from winning that game on Sunday. I haven't had anybody confirm this to me. But I, I, I'm an astute enough observer to kind of figure this thing out. If TCU jumped two spots in the in the RPI and then still didn't move into the top four, that tells me they got no benefit from winning on Sunday. So TCU was in. The Mississippi State was in. And so I think it's important to kind of understand that, you know, these conference tournaments really only benefit the teams like Alabama that are trying to play their way in. I think the hay is in the barn. If, like if you're in really in contention for a hosting side or a top eight national seed, I think it's pretty much settled before the conference tournament gets there, with rare exception. And I think Alabama played their way into the field because they went out there and they beat Tennessee. And that's interesting, too. I had a discussion with a friend earlier about that. Alabama beats Tennessee, and then KP and Berkey and everybody on the ESPN broadcast, oh, so Alabama's in. And then we get the selection show, and everybody's like, oh, Alabama got in? Well, wait a minute. You just said it on national television that they're in, and then you're surprised a little bit later. And I think that's what happened. People become prisoners of the moment, and they think, oh, well, I don't understand this. And so you would think the people that, that cover college baseball regularly would understand the process a little bit better. And so a little bit disappointed in, in the rhetoric that goes along with all that stuff. But, uh, you know, there's been a lot of discussion, too, about, you know, the number one seed. You know, how, how successful has the number one seed been in the College World Series? And a lot of people are saying, including myself, that Arkansas is clearly, clearly the team to beat in, um, in Omaha. And they got to get there first. But you, you kind of understand my point here is like, there's probably not anybody or in the country that would say, hey, I'm going to bet against, against Arkansas. They've proven it. Win the SEC regular series, regular season championship. They win the um, SEC tournament for the first time in school history. And so it's been a special year for those guys, and they're number one in the tournament. But let's take a little trip down memory lane here in the time we have together. And let's just kind of talk about how that has fared, how the number one seed has fared. So the 2019 year, uh, you know that uh, Vanderbilt won it. Vanderbilt wins the national championship. Vanderbilt also not the number one seed that year. The number one seed in the tournament that year was UCLA. The three was Georgia Tech. The four was Georgia. So only one of the top four national seeds made it to Omaha, and number one didn't. Again, just kind of some food for thought there. Because we still got to go play the games. You know what I'm saying? We're not going to simulate them. We're going to actually go play them. And anything can happen. Absolutely anything can happen. Let's look at 2018. Your top eight national seeds, Florida, Stanford, Oregon State, Ole Miss, Arkansas, North Carolina, Florida State, Georgia. Well, guess what? Four of them didn't make it to Omaha. Stanford, Ole Miss, Florida State, and Georgia. Well, you knew, of course, Ole Miss didn't make it. I mean, <laughs> you know, who are we kidding here? You know, we get into Omaha, 
And, um, you know, again, everybody's all excited and ready to go. And it ends up being Oregon State winning it. You know, Arkansas upsets Florida in their bracket, and Oregon State wins a national championship. So, again, the one seed doesn't win the tournament. They make it to Omaha, but they don't win. They get upset in their bracket. They don't even play for the national championship. 2017, remember, that was a pretty good year for us. We got hot late, even though we had about 10 pitchers. Oregon State, you're one. North Carolina, you're two. Florida's three. LSU, four. Texas Tech, five. TCU, six. Louisville, seven. Stanford, eight. Five of the eight make it to Omaha. Five of the eight. Your national champion that year? Florida Gators. The Florida Gators. The number one seed was Oregon State. They make it to Omaha. They don't even play for a national championship. Let's go back to 2016, even though that year is still fresh in our minds, because it's one of those years we look at and say, you know what? We had a great chance to win it. We probably should have won it. We didn't even make it to Omaha. We get upset by Arizona. You know, I just go back and I think, poor Ryan Rigby. You know, the guy had been dynamite for us, leaves the ball up, gives up a home run. We lose the game. If we'd come back on game three, you know, we still had, uh, you know, Zach Houston left to pitch. Arizona's out of pitching. Who knows what happens? But let's uh, let's go back and look at that that field. It was a wild field, too. Those are the things I remember about that year. It just seemed like there was like chaos. Florida's your number one seed, Louisville two, Miami three, A&M four, Texas Tech five, Mississippi State six, Clemson seven, LSU eight. Three of the eight make it to Omaha. Three. And you may recall who won, right? Coastal Carolina. Over Florida? No. Coastal Carolina over Arizona, the team that we lost to, right? Crazy. It should have been us. I don't want to belabor the point too long. 2015, another great year in college baseball. We weren't a part of it, but another great year. Top eight national seeds, UCLA, LSU, Louisville, Florida, Miami, Illinois, TCU, Missouri State. Four of the eight make it. Other four, obviously, sent home early. So that year, UVA, Virginia, wins their first national championship. They take down Vanderbilt. So again, you know, the recent history would show that being the number one national seed, and, and all these people were, were, were absolute, you know what I'm saying? There wasn't, any, there wasn't like any controversy. They were a lot of Arkansas teams. There were a lot of teams that had similar type years of what Arkansas is having right now. And then, you know, some things begin to not go their way. Let's go back just a couple more years, right? 2014. It's a good year for football, right? This is a wild year in the tournament. You had Oregon State, Florida, UVA, Indiana, Florida State, UL Lafayette, TCU, and LSU are your top eight. Six of the eight eliminated before they get to Omaha. Only two of the eight make it to Omaha. You remember who won it that year? Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt beat Virginia. So at least UVA, a team that was a national seed, at least played for the championship. They lose. They bounce back next year and win. But, you know, that was a pretty wild year. And at the beginning of the year, everybody's thinking, oh, well, the tournament comes up and they see them and say, okay, well, these eight, man, it's going to be a cakewalk to Omaha. Didn't work that way. Let's go back and look at 2013. 
good year for us, right? Great year for baseball at Mississippi State. And this is, you know, chaos is good for us as long as we're not in the middle of chaos, right? And that's what happened this year. 2013, number one seed, North Carolina, two Vanderbilt, three Oregon State, four LSU, uh, five Cal State Fullerton, six Virginia, seven Florida State, eight Oregon. Three of the eight make it to Omaha. And then the two teams that played for a national championship, UCLA and Mississippi State, neither one of them top eight national seeds. Neither. And remember, we were in a road regional that year. And so, you know, I, I say all that to say this. Let's do one more year. Let's do one more year. I don't want to – just because I'm curious. And, again, it's a four-for-four four year. It's four out of four versus four. Top eight national seeds, Florida, UCLA, Florida State, Baylor, Oregon, North Carolina, LSU, South Carolina. Four of the eight don't make it. Four of the eight. So, and who wins it that year? Arizona beats South Carolina that year. Arizona, not a top eight national seed. South Carolina, not a top eight national seed. And so, there are many of you right now, and, and I love you all dearly, but there are many of you that are saying, you know what, we don't have a prayer. Well, yes, we do, because there is a lot of baseball that has to be played between now and the end of this month. Because this is the final month of the year, right, for college baseball. You never know what's going to happen. You look at Arkansas, too. I mean, you know, they, they lose Peyton Powell a couple of weeks ago. Uh, they had a guy leave the mound last week, you know, with some arm trouble. And so you begin to kind of work through this thing and say, oh, well, then, you know, then Slauson has the bad ankle sprain. You know, at some point that catches up. You know, does it catch up in, in the regional against Nebraska? You know, probably not. Does it happen in the Super Regional? Maybe. You know, but nobody ever looks at the beginning of the year and says, oh, yeah, with a tournament seed rollout, number one, oh, those, those guys are going to win it. Number one rarely wins. We just got to take care of our side of things. Right now, we can't think about Arkansas. We can't think about Omaha. And fortunately, we've got some guys on this team that have been to Omaha. They know the grind that it takes and how much pressure there is. And they can kind of lead these guys through it. But right now, our focus has got to be on Samford, beating Samford, finding a way to beat the Samford Bulldogs, and then hopefully find a way to get out of this regional. And then we'll see what happens next weekend. You never know who we're going to be playing. You don't know what's going to happen up there in that Notre Dame regional. And, that's, and I look at that regional, too, and I begin to think to myself, this is going to be, <laughs> this is going to be a wild weekend in South Bend. I'm not a big Notre Dame uh, proponent anyway, as you guys know. They got Central Michigan coming in there. Fire up chips. Love those guys, man. They've already played Notre Dame one time this year in a midweek game. Notre Dame wins. And you got UConn, and I think UConn is a bracket buster, man. I, th- I think they are just lying in wait in that South Bend Regional. They'll get Michigan in game one. But nothing will surprise me at South Bend this weekend. Nothing. I remember when Michigan made the field last year, a lot of people said, man, they didn't even deserve to make it. And they get in, and next thing you know, they catch fire. And next, and you look up here, and three weeks later, they're playing for a national championship. You know, Michigan swept their bracket in Omaha. And then they won game one against Vanderbilt. They were one win away from winning a national championship after barely making the tournament. And so, again, just take a deep breath. Because... If we just take care of our business, the traffic will clear in front of us. 
because we've got a real smooth path to Omaha. And I, I really I think I think Notre Dame is in a world of trouble this weekend. I don't know if they make it out. And maybe they do, but that is not gonna be a weekend uh for the meek or the weak at heart. Because I think any of those teams could win at UCLA. Central Michigan, yes. I think any of those teams could win that regional. And the fact that Michigan has been in this position before, because that, that's the narrative. You can say, hey, you know what, guys? All we need is a chance. Just give us a chance to get into the field, and then we'll figure it out. It's a new season. Well, they got exactly what they wanted. They're in. With what, an 88 RPI? They get in. Last team in, if I'm not mistaken. And so now all of a sudden there's all this relief. It's like, hey, we get to keep playing baseball. And we get Notre Dame, one of the more vulnerable one seeds, probably one of the most overrated teams in the country at their place. I dig it, man. I do. So all Mississippi State needs to do is focus on winning this weekend, and then next weekend will take care of itself. You know, who we play – we don't have any control over any of that. And then you never know who we're going to get, and then we'll worry about next weekend when we get there. But if we win this weekend and win next weekend, we're making plans to go to Omaha, Nebraska, folks, for the third time in a row. And history has shown us that more times than not, half of the top eight national seeds don't make it to Omaha. So all this talk about, oh, well, Arkansas and Vanderbilt's going to be on the same side of the bracket and Tennessee's going to be over there with Mississippi State. There are absolutely no guarantees any of that's going to happen. you got to go win some ball games, man. you got to win five or six the next two weekends to get there, and then you see what your draw is and you figure it out. I think Mississippi State's headed to Omaha. I really do. And it's one of those things, too, I look at and you, know, you get a little nervous about it because, like, you want it so bad. You want it so bad. And you think, you know what, let me just get through this weekend. Then there will only be 16 teams left playing. And then we're two wins away from Omaha. And then we'll just kind of see how things break out. I'm excited. You should be. Hopefully you guys will be able to get tickets. I know that, uh, I guess, chairbacks are already sold out. And you can get full session tickets, 60 bucks, and then $10, $10 single game tickets. I know many of you are coming. Let me encourage you this. Please listen to me. And please spread the word on social media. And your, with your friends or whatever, because there's so many people that are going to get victimized, okay? If you are looking for general admission tickets, do not buy them on StubHub. Buy them at HealthState.com, because you can buy them at face value at HealthState.com. Do not get gouged on StubHub. Don't do it. I had friends today that said, hey, when can I get on? What should I be looking for on StubHub? You know, unless you're trying to get a chair back. If you're just going to go stand or you're going to wander around in a lounge or whatever, get a GA ticket. But buy them through Mississippi State. Don't buy them through a third-party vendor. That's the first thing everybody says, well, I'll just get on StubHub. Because that's what we're used to doing, right? You know, if we're a single-game type person, we go to third-party vendors because we just think they're never going to have tickets. You buy them through HealthState.com, save yourself some money, and provide yourself some security too. You know exactly who you're getting it from. You know, there's no possibility of a scammer. And I understand there's insurance on StubHub and places like that, but you can verify tickets through Mississippi State. And that way, too, if there's a problem, Mike Ritchie and the Mississippi State Ticket Office can help you. Because if you bought the tickets through Mississippi State, Mississippi State is responsible if anything goes wrong. 
You buy them through a third-party vendor and something goes wrong, Mississippi State can't help you. They'll try to, but they can't. To just eliminate the middleman, eliminate the expenses and the extra fees, buy your tickets through healthstate.com. Okay, for those of you that don't know, the new book, Blooms of Oleander, comes out on Monday. You can order today. You can pre-order online at Amazon, Books of Megan, uh, Barnes & Noble. Uh, or if you want a signed copy, you can contact Book Martin Cafe in downtown Starville. I, matter of fact, while I was there today, I went and had lunch with my agent today and just happened to pop in because we're going to have like a, uh, you know, a little celebration, a book release party downtown here in the next w- couple of weeks. So I went in to talk to Miss Carolyn Abadie about all that stuff. While I'm there, they deliver the books. Now, they can't sell them until the release date, which is Monday. But I signed 200 copies for you guys at Book Martin Cafe. And so if you just need a signed copy, they're there. That's the only place in the world they are. They're not signed copies on Amazon or Books a Million or Barnes & Noble. So if you don't care about that thing, then buy them through those vendors. But if you want a signed copy, you need to get them through Book Martin Cafe. Uh, I'm not going to tour a lot for this book, so there's not going to be as many opportunities to come to book signings. And we'll do some things in the fall, of course, but we'll do all that stuff together. But I'm not going to be real busy, you know, this summer. I'll do a few things, but I'm not going to get out and kill myself because I'm working on some other projects as well. And so I want to make sure that you guys are aware of that. Signed copies right now only available in paperback and hardback at Bookmark Cafe in Starkville. You can check them out. I'd be glad you did. The sister store of Campus Bookmark, right? So they got a lot of same merchandise, same products, but you can go check those things out. Now, also, Lemuria Books and Jackson's going to carry it too, and I'm a big proponent of Lemuria Books. They probably had their books. Again, they can't sell them until June, to June 7th, but they're going to have them. And I encourage you to support Mississippi's independent bookstores. But if you're not in Mississippi and you want to get the book, you can call any of these vendors or you can order online. But if you want your favorite bookstore to get the book, you just go in there and tell them. I want to get Blooms of Oleander by Steve Robertson. It's through Ingram Press. And uh, they'll find it for you. And they can order it and uh, they'll get it shipped out to you right away. So go to your favorite bookstore in your town and order it or just go order it on Amazon. I'm a big proponent of the independent bookstore. So if you want to make sure they get the business, if you've got questions, reach out to me on social media. I'm happy to help. But I'm very excited about the project, and uh, I didn't expect to be this excited about it, but I am. And it does something to you when you, you know, when you see your work in printed form. It really does. And so I'm excited about that. Again, if you are looking for Father's Day gifts, and many of you are. Matter of fact, I had uh, one of you is getting Stark Villains for Father's Day. I signed it today. Not for a fact. I'm not going to tell you your name. You'll find out soon enough. But if you are looking to get, it's what, two Sundays from now? You still got time. Get your dad the gift of knowledge. Get personalized copies of Flim Flam, Stark Villains, and Alpha Dogs at alphadogsthebook.com. And maybe he has all that. Maybe it's time to outfit him in a Stark Villain shirt. You know he'll dig it because the Stark Villain stuff is really, really cool. Really excited about how that worked out. Go to starkvillains.com. You can order those today. Next time we get together, guys, we'll be previewing an NCAA regional. There is no college baseball to be played between now and then on the Division I level. And on Friday, I will preview the weekend. We'll get a little deeper in this thing, as I mentioned, you know, about Sanford having, you know, a switch hitter and then eight right-handers in their lineup. We'll get a little more technical, you know, with the rest of that. We'll break down some numbers and kind of look at potential pitching matchups and all that sort of stuff. 
and kind of break it down how we think the weekend's going to go. And so I'm excited about it. You guys should be too. Listen, we have a clear path to Omaha, and we need the Bulldogs to come through. If at all possible, please be here. Bring the kids. And listen, I understand it's a long day. I do. But the Bulldog family needs you to be here. We really do. And uh, listen, you can watch them home. I get it. But there's nothing like being there. And again, there's so many of my favorite memories. Like in 2016, you know, when we beat Arkansas, my oldest son was obviously a college baseball player, and they were done playing, and he was here in town. And and I I told him, I said, you got to bring your little brother because I want us to have this memory together because I don't know when we're going to win another one. I don't know when we're going to win another SEC championship. And I want us all to be in the building together. And it was important to me. And to this day – they talk about that. You know, granted, we're just talking five years ago, but it's like, hey, I'm so glad I was there to see that. And I want to share one more story with you guys before I go. And I might have shared this with you before, but it's important to me. But uh, so back in 2019, you know, went to Omaha, and Dave Murray was with me. And after it's all over with, we've been eliminated. We're shocked, right, because we're thinking, okay, we just need to survive this game against Louisville, and we'll take another shot at Vanderbilt, and we'll see how things go, right? Well, we lose. And so Dave comes and gets me and says, hey, let me just, let's go down together. And, you know, listen, I knew my way out of the venue. I'd been there all, I'd been there all week. I'd been, I'd gone to everybody. I've been to every ball game in Omaha, even the ones the Mississippi State didn't play in. But Dave wanted to go down to the field. So we go down to the field, and it's a really cool thing being down there on the playing surface. I had not done that. So we're walking around down there, and all of a sudden I look over, and Dave Murray has grabbed a, uh, you know, a plastic Gatorade cup. And he bends down, you know, Dave's got his sports coat on and got his slacks and his loafers. And he reaches down in that Gatorade cup and he scoops up some red dirt in front of the Mississippi State dugout. And he looks at me and he kind of had this melancholy look in his eye. And he says, you know, you never know when it's going to be your last time. And I thought about that today as I was thinking about Stan Horton. You know, it's like, there's so many chances you think, well, I'm going to go to Omaha. The ne- Listen, we can't go this year, but next time they play, I promise you we're going to go. And you make these promises to yourself. And then when it comes around, like we sneak into Omaha or something like we did in 18, you're thinking, oh, well, I didn't think they were going to go this year. Let me tell you this. If we make it to Omaha, you got to go. You have to go. If you love college baseball, and I don't know, I mean, listen, many of you love it as much as I do. I don't know if anybody loves it more than me. But it changes your life. I mean, when you go and you see college baseball, to see the final eight, you watch those teams play, and you see that M over S logo out there on the, on the fence, it's different. There's one. It's great to watch it on TV. I mean, it is. It's electric. It really is. But covering the College World Series is unlike anything that I've ever done. I mean, it's the closest thing to, like, being on stage at a concert. I mean, it's like there is an energy in the air – that is impossible to describe. If you've been, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you haven't been, you owe it to yourself. So be thinking about that. Don't let it sneak up on you here in a couple weeks and say, oh man, I always wanted to go. Whatever it takes, get it done. You owe it to yourself. And not just because Mississippi State needs you to be there. If you're a fan of Mississippi State and you're a fan of college baseball, there will be nothing that will mean more to you than cheering for Mississippi State in Omaha. And you know what? One day, we're going to win it all in Omaha, and you're going to be glad you were there. So let's get in the habit of going to Omaha every time the Bulldogs do. 
That's going to do it for today. Back on Friday. Look forward to that. And again, we'll have some rock in the top 10. And we'll break down this weekend. I'm excited about it, man. I wish it was right now. But until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live.